And so that was really an interesting process from transitioning from a class to a startup. And at that same time, there was a lot of work we had to do in terms of dividing up roles. Welcome back to The Founder's Couch. This is a talk show about the most inspiring student founders and their intrepid journeys of starting their own thing. I'm your host, Katherine Jang. For those new to the show, you might be thinking, who the heck is this girl? Well, just to quickly introduce myself, I am a recent grad from Stanford, where I myself was a student founder. My goal with Founders Couch is to inspire more of you, students, to start your own ventures. I hope to show what it's like to be a student founder and share helpful advice and lessons learned from the top student entrepreneurs across the country. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to Founders Couch wherever you get your podcasts. Today on the show, we have Thejusfi Desai. Thejusfi is a Johns Hopkins senior who studies biomedical engineering. Hailing from Pleasanton, California, Thejusfi is the co-founder of Relavo, a medical device venture preventing infections in home dialysis. So far, they've developed a working prototype, verified the efficacy of their disinfection method, and participated in renowned accelerators such as Mass Challenge Boston and MedTech Innovator. They've won over $650,000 in non-dilutive funding and are currently raising a pre-seed round. Some topics we discuss are how did they just feed come to co-found Relavo, and what was it like transitioning a class project into a real startup? Now onto the show, let's get Thejusfi on the couch. Hey Thejusfi, how, how's it going? I'm good, how are you? I'm good, how is Baltimore treating you at the moment? It's good, um, it was, it started like thunderstorming recently, which is a difference from being in California, but um, yeah, it's good, I'm enjoying it. That's good, that's good. Um, they just wait, where are you? I know you're based in Baltimore at the moment, but where are you from and where'd you grow up? Yeah, so I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, I, yeah, I, I grew up there my whole life. So definitely it was a, a big transition moving to the East Coast for the first time. But I feel like college was a great time to explore something new. So it worked out well. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with that more. So I've given listeners a bit of a rundown of what Relavo does, but how would you describe what your company does in your own words? Relavo is a medical device center, and we are developing a device to prevent infections in at-home dialysis. And so it's essentially a connection device where um, in the at-home dialysis tubing setup, patients have to connect tubes every night. And so it's pretty easy for those tubes to get contaminated just by patients touching it. And so essentially, they would just connect the existing dialysis tubes into our device, press a button, and then it disinfects the tube ends, which allows them to receive their treatment afterward without the risk of infection. Mm, Wow, that sounds so cool. I want to definitely dig into that. Um, (laughs) I guess I kind of want to back up real quick, though, and and hear more about the founding story, because I think this is really interesting. So this started out as a class project, right? And you were a freshman when this all began. Can you... Can you maybe just take us back to that time? Yeah, so it actually started off as part of a John Hopkins um, biomedical engineering design team class. So we have this really cool program where essentially you have a team of undergraduate students and they are paired with a clinician at the Hopkins Hospital. And the clinicians sort of present these different clinical needs that they face in um, their practice. And then the students get to pick which need they think is the most compelling, and then work on that project with the help of faculty engineering advisors. And so the project actually started before I even joined Hopkins, um, where the um, 
where our team was matched with a clinical sponsor. And after that, I joined as a freshman and then I applied to be on the team. And so it's really interesting because being part of this team has really just been the one constant throughout my entire college experience. I joined as a freshman, was welcomed onto the team, um, and then got to continue. Now, now that I'm a senior, I've been working on this my entire time at Hopkins. Well, it's crazy. It's, it's cool to see, like, like you said, it's been a constant throughout all the ups and downs of, of college and, and all the years. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. I want to dig into the founding story a little bit. So it was a class that's dedicated to medical devices, pharmaceuticals, that kind of, that kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so essentially it's specific to the biomedical engineering program. So it's also very much focused on the design process. So the first semester, the team spends just going into the clinic and observing, doing a really, really uh, deep root cause analysis, working a lot on the project background, you know, interviewing clinicians. So there's a lot of that, you know, formative um, part of the design process where you really try and understand the problem. And I feel like, honestly, that's one of the most valuable parts of this program is it's very much rooted in the problem rather than a solution. Um, And so that's definitely one of my favorite parts about it. And then the second semester, you spend ideating different solution concepts and then actually prototyping and building that out. And so it's a year-long program that takes you through um, most of the design process. And so we finished the course. And we kind of decided, you know, like, let's keep working on it. It it seemed like an interesting project. Um, We weren't ready to let it go yet. So we continued working on it the next year, just on our own with the support of, um, still still with some of the support of our engineering faculty, as well as our clinical sponsor, um, Dr. Alishini, who works at the Johns Hopkins Hospital. And then eventually we slowly and slowly started to realize this could be something more. And so we would we started applying to business plan competitions, um, pitching at different places. And over time, we just received, we heard from people who, you know, really believed that this would make an impact. We heard from people whose family members were on dialysis. Um, we heard from, you know, people who were very experienced in the medical device field. And so we slowly started to realize, you know, this maybe this could be something more than just a school project. This is something that perhaps we should actually. Um, really pursue and and get this to market. Mm, Interesting. And when that class ended and you guys were thinking about continuing to pursue it, what were sort of the conversations that you had around that time to maybe communicate expectations, divide roles, maybe like what was, what were those conversations like? Yeah. So I think it it definitely was um, really a, a slow and steady process. And so when we kind of finally decided that, you know, this wasn't just going to be an academic commitment. It was going to be something we wanted to pursue, you know, even after we graduate, we wanted to pursue, we wanted to pursue it as a company and not just a project. And so honestly, that was very recently, that was early this year. Um, And it was an interesting transition because originally the team was led by Sarah, who's um, currently our CEO, but she started off as the team leader. Uh, in the class. And so we had to kind of put together a founding team based on, you know, we had a lot of people who were involved in the project, but we really had to figure out like who was willing to commit to this um, and focus their efforts on it, do this after graduation um, and make, you know, make that big commitment. And so that was really an interesting process from transitioning from a class to a startup. 
And at that same time, there was a lot of work we had to do in terms of dividing up roles. Because previously, it had mostly been, you know, our team leader was leading the business side, leading the prototyping. And that's really a lot to do when you're transitioning into a startup. And so we kind of designated different roles. So we had a CEO, and then I was interested in operations. So I became the COO. And then we also, one of my other co-founders um, is the chief innovation officer. And so it's really interesting because I feel like in a startup, it's hard to define these roles because you're just doing a lot of everything. So even though, um, you know, at the OO, what I really do is I lead research and development. And so definitely there's like a lot of, you know, a lot of differences between what your title is sometimes and what you really do at the very early stages. Um, but I definitely think that that delegation of different responsibilities has really allowed us to make a lot of progress because we're able to both consult each other when we need help, but also really just have ownership over one area, which I think is, is really helpful and there's so many things to do. You just need to have the independence to make decisions as you see best fit, fit without having to, you know, like always ask someone who's senior to you. Right, 100%. I couldn't agree with that more. I think it's interesting because like personally in my experience, right, like if you take something where you created in a class, sometimes it's often just like people who come together because they just want to work together. They don't think too much about like skill sets and how complementary each of us are, you know? Um, so it's interesting, like how you guys recognize that, you know, we should actually more clearly delegate or delineate roles, right? And, and be more effective that way. And I wonder like, what, at what point did this conversation come up and, and what prompted you guys to talk about this? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think part of it was probably just that we had been working on the project for two years and it was sort of a, a turning point, I guess, where we had exhausted a lot of we, a lot of what we could do just through an academic level. And so we were really at a point where we, we needed to have, in order to make progress, we would need more money. We would need to start having more serious discussions about implementation, about, you know, really rigorous business strategy. I think if you're not willing to commit to something, you know, as a long-term venture, then at a certain point, it, the business plan doesn't um, make sense to keep developing, you know, it, it seems, yeah, it's, it's not as um, worth it. And so I think it was just a combination of, we were at a point in our progress where in order to, like, it didn't make sense to continue further if we weren't going to try and take this all the way. And I guess personally for you, they just feel like, when you say, you know, making sure that everyone is aligned, that this is what they want to do long-term, for you, when you were thinking through it personally, what made you decide this is something you want to do long-term? That's a great question. And honestly, when we first kind of, you know, had the official founding of our company, I definitely, um, it was it was scary for sure, because I was saying, I was committing myself to something and, you know, I was only um, a junior in college and, you know, to make decisions like that, it, it seems um, very, like a very young age to kind of commit to things. Um, for me, it was, so I was always interested in going into the medical device industry. Um, and I always also had an interest in entrepreneurship. And I felt like, you know, the reason that I wanted to work in um, the medical device field was because I feel like health is such a, it's such an important need. It's, it's so basic and um, it's, 
I, I feel like if I can contribute to improving human health, that's kind of what I want to do in my career. And I felt like, you know, you can do that at a lot of larger companies, but I feel like it's very impactful when you can, you know, create your own company and work on something which you are just so passionate about. And especially because I'd already been working on it for, you know, two years at that point. Um, I really, I felt like we had gained a lot of traction and I, I didn't want to see this kind of dissolve and, you know, disappear and go away. Um, especially because we had received support and I just felt like it was, it was something meaningful to me. And, um, you know, when you're young, you kind of have the opportunity to take those sorts of risks. So I thought, why not? <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting point you bring up. Like, you know, you're young, you, you might as well, right? Like, what, what's to lose? Mm -hmm. I want to shift gears a little bit to talking more about the product. So I know we discussed more about the team division of roles and, and the conversations you had around the transition to making this a formal startup. What was the product looking like through over the course of that transition? Like at what point, like, did you had an MVP? What did that look like? Yeah. So, so as I said, we started the project in the first semester really just focused on the problem. And so we had identified that, you know, in at-home dialysis, there is this issue where when patients connect to, they will contaminate them and that gets, those microbes get flushed into the body leading to an infection. And so the first um, thing we had to do was obviously develop a lot of solution concepts and figure out what was most feasible for us. I think MVPs are, um, I, I would say we don't, we didn't necessarily have one clear um, MVP for our product. I think really it was first developing a proof of concept for does this method of injecting an antimicrobial into um, dialysis tube ends, does that effectively kill uh, bacteria and microbes? And so that was kind of the first stage of proving that this concept of um, an antimicrobial solution for disinfecting tubes actually worked. So then the next step was to actually build a prototype to build some sort of injector that could inject and retract that fluid. And so that was kind of like the second stage of the prototype. And so I think it's definitely a, a very iterative process where first you're proving the concepts, then you're building out the prototype, and then you just have to keep iterating, you know, considering all different factors like usability, um, efficacy, like all of those factors. And it's kind of like a, I would say a very iterative process. In terms of our last conversation, I, I remember we talked about this pretty briefly, they just see, but it was around like how for software, the MVP, it's a little different, right? It's a, the, the look of the MVP is different for the look in comparison to the look of an MVP for health tech and, and medical devices. Can you maybe like speak to that? Like what, what are the big, you know, differences that you see specifically? Yeah, I think it's really interesting because building a medical device, it's an extremely regulated industry, right? And so when you're trying to um, really prove that what your solution is, it's going to work, it's a lot more than just um, building a product because in order to, you know, successfully build a medical device product, it takes years and years. You have to do um, trials. You might have to do, you know, animal studies. Some, some people have to do human trials. So there's kind of a lot that's involved. And so I think what's really important is, you essentially have to slowly de-risk your, your venture. And so that comes in the form of first, you know, developing a proof of concept. And really, it's, it's not so much about creating a product, I would say, and then showing it 
to like investors or different competitions. It's more about identifying, well, what are all the points at which we can fail? So let's say, um, you know, the efficacy, that's one big thing. Um, the safety to the patient, um, the regulatory strategy, right? Reimbursement strategy. So kind of figuring out what are all the, um, all the big risks to your company and then doing experiments or developing analyses to de-risk each of those individually. So for us, it was, you know, doing some preliminary efficacy studies, um, doing toxicity studies to understand what the harm would be to um, a, a patient in the future, developing our, you know, regulatory strategy and, you know, different economics models based on reimbursement. And so it's really, I would say it's interesting because, because it's such a regulated industry and it works, um, it works, it, it works in a unique way. So you kind of have to take each different facet and then de-risk those. And that's how you really show someone, um, such as an investor, that, you know, we really think we can succeed and here's why. Mm. I love that model of like looking at your venture and seeing all the points of risk, right? And slowly de-risking one by one. Something I'm curious around is, you know, with certain I guess, software companies, the risk around technology is less, right? Because it's usually software and people can code it together. And I wonder around user risk almost, like, if that makes sense. So like risk of, do people need this? Mm-hmm. How have you guys approached that risk? Yeah, so that's a great question. And I think a lot of it um, comes from really the, you know, stakeholder interviews that you do. It's also interesting because I would say it's um, risks and sort of like patient needs in the medical field are perhaps better documented um, than risks in other fields because there's a lot of literature and papers that kind of point out, you know, like infections are a huge problem. And so in order to actually validate that this was a problem, a lot of the work had been done for us because if you look on papers, you know, there's a lot of papers that show really high infection rates. Um, and a lot of our work doing, doing interviews was, um, you know, talking with clinicians and just seeing like how big of a problem this was because, um, you know, just by talking to them, we would understand that, you know, peritonitis really is a big problem. Interesting. That's, yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting point around how for like medical device MVP validation work, a lot of the problem has already been validated in the papers and in the literature. And it's more so like doing the technical risk and the regulation risk, like you said. So they just say, I want to switch gears um, to the last part of this conversation, which is in my mind, the most fun. I, I hope it's, it's fun for you, but um, what I like to call the fire round. So basically I'm going to fire at you five quick questions from John Hopkins to Rolavo to just general advice. And um, I'd love for you to just get back in uh, a short amount of time. How does that sound? So first question, most memorable experience at John Hopkins? Yeah, um, I would say, so we have a really nice event every, um, it's right before finals, so in every winter, we have something called Lighting of the Pods, where essentially um, all of the students will gather around one of the quads that we have, and there'll be a speech by the president, they'll have um, like the school um, symphony, you'll have acapella groups, and then you all kind of just like are standing there and like they'll have like hot cocoa booths and things like that. And so um, you all just kind of like are celebrating the um, start of winter and you know it's like your last final celebration before final start. And then at the end um, they light up all of um, 
they like they put these um, lights around all of the lamps, and then they light those up, and then they have fireworks uh, behind the school. Oh, wow. So yeah, I know it's, it's super cool. That's so cool. Nothing like uh, hot cocoa and fireworks on a cold winter day. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yeah, that's one of the nice parts of the East Coast because it's so cold. You really take a lot of joy in in warming up. <laughs> Absolutely. Second question: Favorite class at John Hopkins? Yeah. I feel like I kind of have to say the BME design team program, um, but I mean, I really enjoyed that class and I think our project wouldn't exist right now if we didn't take that. But in terms of a different class, so this last semester I took a class called Build an Imager, which is super cool because um, it was actually done completely remotely because we were at home. But even then I felt like we got such a great experience um, understanding you know, how imaging software works, how an imaging device works. And it was really great because we'd learned a lot of the theory in previous classes, but we were actually able to apply and visualize these things in this class. Quarantine activity that keeps you sane? Honestly, it would just be taking walks. I, I love taking walks and then calling my friends. Um, it really it helps me, definitely helps me stay sane. <laughs> Those are definitely in my top two as well. <laughs> One piece of advice for students who are looking to start something. Yeah, I think that being a student founder gives you very unique opportunities because you can always just call someone up and explain how you're a student working on a project and they'll be so willing to help you. So if you're a student founder, make sure you take advantage of every, um, every resource there is before you are no longer a student. Absolutely. I think pulling the student card is definitely, definitely has its benefits for sure. I totally feel that. Last question, Thejusfeed. Where do you see Relavo going and what are the next steps for Thejusfeed Desai? Yeah, so we are planning on pursuing this full-time after we graduate. One of our co-founders is already full-time and then um, soon I will be, you know, once I graduate. And so definitely within the next few years, we want to submit to the FDA for FDA submission, um, do, you know, some um, pre-market clinical trials, and then eventually launch our device on the market. So the goal is definitely to get this out there so um, we can really impact the lives of patients. As in terms of myself, my next steps are finishing, um, so this year I'll be finishing my bachelor's and my master's degrees in biomedical engineering. And then after that, working for a lot of full-time um, and really, really excited to, um, to work on this full-time as a co-founder. 100%. I love that. Um, well, it was so lovely to have you on the show, Thejusfeed. This was such a pleasure for me to, to talk with you about just your founding journey and, and where you're headed. Super exciting. Yeah, thanks so much, Catherine, for having me on the show. What a wonderful conversation. Thanks so much, Thejusfeed, for coming on the couch. And to all of you for tuning into this episode. If you liked hearing from a founder in health tech, you might enjoy episode number 28, where we talk with Robbie Felton. If you haven't already, subscribe to Founders Couch wherever you get your podcasts, leave a rating, and review. If you want to see more from us or DM me ideas for questions or guests, which are always, always welcome, follow us on Instagram at Founders Couch. Catch us Friday after next, October 2nd, for another Founders Couch Friday. I'm Catherine Jang, and you've been listening to The Founders Couch. See y'all soon.